0: Well, let's open our Bibles this morning. Let's open to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. And I alluded this to this a little bit during kids' time, but <clears throat> you've probably heard the saying, maybe in not so great context, but you've probably heard the saying, God gave you two ears and one mouth. And usually that means something in the context. It usually means you're talking too much and listening too little. (laughs) There are other senses in which this is is meant, but maybe it doesn't need explaining. But you need only to open one ear in this world to hear that we as humanity believe that we've been given two mouths. And that if we just keep talking instead of listening, we'll solve something or our side will finally win. But if someone you deeply trusted came to you and said, listen to me, I'm about to die, and you are going to need to know some things in the coming days, even for the rest of your life. And then he, would, then he said, if you listen to me, you'll make it you'll make the right choices, and you'll make it to where you need to go. If you don't, what's going to happen is going to crush you. So here's a question. Would you, have, would, you stop, would you stop talking long enough to listen to that? From someone you deeply trust, telling you, if you listen to what I have to say, you're going to make it. Well, He does say that. The Lord God has given us two ears and one mouth, and he has such a message for us to hear. He gave it first to his first disciples as he was preparing them for his physical departure. And not just getting on a plane and flying somewhere, no. Physical departure in the terms of violent death by crucifixion. And he, above every other voice ever in our lives, should be considered more trustworthy. If we don't listen, we shall be crushed and without hope. But if we do listen, we're going to make it. And not just make it. We're going to be rock solid, full of peace, joy, and faith. And there isn't a soul on this planet that doesn't want that. So this morning, as we come to the word, let's listen. Would you stand with me as we read? John chapter 14, verse 25 through the end of the verse into the chapter, excuse me. Jesus speaking to his disciples, "These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you." I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You may have a seat. We should listen to Jesus' love. If we're to navigate this life, while Jesus is not physically present with us, if we're to live as a faithful church in a chaotic culture, we must listen to Jesus' love. Because that's what he is doing here. He's telling us of his love. Well, what then does he tell us of his love in in this passage? Well, he says, first, Jesus tells us that we're never alone. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The last time I was with you guys, Jesus introduced us to this Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who would, as he said, would be with us forever. Here he brings him up again, and here's the question. Why does Jesus tell us that we're never going to be alone? Well, first, because the Holy Spirit continues Jesus' relationship with us. Because he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Now we understand that the Holy Spirit is sent by God the Father, and Jesus has asked that the Holy Spirit is sent to his church. But what did it mean that God the Father was going to send the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name? scholar D.A. Carson mentioned, it could simply mean that Jesus asked his father and his father did it. But more likely, this is the function of the helper. That he is to be an emissary to us of Jesus. And he helps us by making known Jesus to us. Functioning as the spiritual presence of Jesus in our lives. Just as the Father was just, sorry, just as Jesus was sent by His Father to make His Father known, so the Holy Spirit is, ma- is sent to us to make Jesus known, who makes the Father known. It's it's this, it's this Trinitarian cycle, and as the Holy Spirit comes in Jesus' name, He makes known to us Jesus and His ways. Which leads to, secondly, what the Holy Spirit does. One of the things He will do is He will teach. He will teach you all things. (laughs) Now, what does that mean and what does that not mean? Well, one thing that it doesn't mean is that He's not going to teach every believer how to be an agronomist, an offensive coach, a preacher, a construction contractor. (laughs) That's not what the all things means. Though... We as believers get the privilege to do every part of our lives, including our vocations, whether, and every part, including home, school, work, play, etc. We get to do those with the Holy Spirit, and He does provide insight and help. But even that in our lives is done by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of teaching us who Jesus is and how to live life in Him. Who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like is what Jesus has in mind when he says the Holy Spirit's going to teach you all things. And also, at this point before the cruc- crucifixion, Jesus had not taught the disciples everything he wanted to teach them about himself. And in fact, they couldn't learn some things about Jesus until Jesus was dead and then resurrected. So his earthly mission was not to exhaustively teach the disciples. <clears throat> but the Holy Spirit was sent and completed where Jesus left off with these first disciples who became apostles, whom the church is to listen to. Acts 2 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But not only the, those things that Jesus hadn't taught yet, but Jesus also tells us we're not going to be alone because thirdly the Holy Spirit's going to be there to remind us. He will teach you all things, verse 26 says, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is a great comfort. As I get older, I'd love to say my memory gets better. No, we live in an Ecclesiastes world where everything is backwards. The kids get naps, the adults don't. The kids have great memories. Ours begins to fade. So this is a loving thing for Jesus to tell us. Because our hearing God's voice, His Word, the Bible, our studying it, our reading it, our memorizing it, all of those are great, godly, commanded, good things that Jesus wants for us. And we should be engaging God's Word these ways. But all of those things would be to no avail if the word isn't brought to our minds in the heat of the moment. The last thing sometimes that I want to think about when I'm in a fight of verbal argument is how Scripture is telling me to love my neighbor. But yet the Holy Spirit comes and says, this is the better way, Aaron. So how does this happen? First we're devote we've devoted we're to devote ourselves to scripture and knowing it and understanding it there's got to be a resource there but secondly God sends the Holy Spirit to us to help us understand it and then bring it to mind so that we can actually live in light of it the Holy Spirit will remind I remember a very very stressful season probably shorter than other stressful seasons, but a very stressful season in my life where everything just seemed to be piling on and I was losing focus. Anybody relate to that? (laughs) Well, guess what? This is true. The Holy Spirit used a brother in Christ to remind me of God's promise from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And you might remember this where God tells His people, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus tells us we're never alone. We should listen to Jesus' love. Well, what else does in this passage does He tell us of His love? Second... Jesus tells us he gives us his peace. Peace I leave with you, he says. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So that's the obvious question, isn't it? What's the peace that Jesus gives? Well, first it's the peace that's his to leave and to give. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, it says in verse four twenty-seven, And you have to understand how potent this is. Jesus is making ties with ancient customary greetings and salutations of where people would come to each other or leave each other saying, Peace be with you and also with you. But Jesus takes this so much further just by the fact that it's Jesus saying it. Here's what's happening. God has come in the flesh and declared, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do you know how big of a deal that that is? When humanity sinned against the Lord, we lost peace with God. We lost, what Hebrews says is shalom, where a sense of rightness, a full rightness with the world, with one another, and most especially between us and God. When we sinned, we lost that and everything became peaceless. Every day after that, we have seen and experienced glimpses and hints of peace, but just enough to remind us how much we don't have it and are unable on our own to get it back. We were made for peace. But we can't get it back on our own. Thank God for the two greatest words in Scripture. But God. But God in His mercy tells us who trust in Him, who believe in His name, Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. And that's especially important because when Jesus physically leaves, he's telling his disciples his peace isn't going to go away. The Holy Spirit is there. And that leads to the second aspect of Jesus' peace it's not going to be given like the world's peace. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Jesus said. (laughs) There's so many places we could go, but um, D.A. Carson wrote this in regards to this passage. He says, there is sufficient hatred, selfishness, bitterness, malice, anxiety, and fear that every attempt at peace in humanity is rapidly swamped. And within a biblical framework, he goes on, attempts to achieve personal equanimity or mere political stability, whether by ritual, mysticism, or propaganda, without dealing with the fundamental reasons for strife. In the Bible, those are intrinsically loathsome. He says, that's why God denounces prophets and priests alike who practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13-15. He goes on and says, The world promises peace and waves the flag of peace as its greeting. It cannot give it. We can't give peace. And so temporary, even if, just to get, if we, even if we just attain to a taste. The world can't give like Jesus. It's too sinful and too temporary. How then does he give it? Thirdly, it's the peace that's secured when Jesus goes and comes back. Because look at what he says at the end of verse 27. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. There is only one peace in the history of the world that would take away the heart's trouble and take away every fear. It's found through the death and resurrection of the Son of God. As I was studying this passage, several authors mentioned what's called the Peace of Rome, Pax Romana, around in this day. And you know how that was maintained? You, go, you had to keep One rule. Don't riot. Anything that even smelled like insurrection or uprising and the sword of Rome came and killed countless people. How's the peace of God secured? Through the once for all death of him who had never had anything but peace with God who did not deserve to have His peace taken away in death, but who did so so that we might have peace. And now, we who believe Him receive, as Philippians 4 verse 7 says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Jesus tells us He gives us peace. Jesus also tells us the conditions of being the recipients of this peace and this is another way he tells us of his love. Thirdly, Jesus tells us to love and believe him. If you love me, he goes on to say in verse 28, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So as we listen to this and we should what happens when we love and believe Jesus which is what the outcome of this is supposed to be First we rejoice when Jesus succeeds Look at what he says in verse 28 If you loved me you would have re- you would have re- you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I Ouch What's the implication here of what he's saying? He says, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. What's their state? They're troubled and miserable. They're grieving. The implication is, no, 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 you don't love me, guys. You're not acting like you love me because you're so focused on your own loss and grief and not on the joyous news, the news that has shaken the universe that Jesus, God's Son, is worthy to open the scroll. You're so focused on your own loss and grief that you don't realize that I'm making the way where there was no way. You're so focused on your problems that you don't realize that I am securing salvation from every sin which besets you. I am securing shalom, Jesus says, the perfect peace of God for us. And I'm going back to where I rightfully belong exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords, at the right hand of God the Father. Christians, use this reality to fight for your joy. When the griefs and troubles and the attacks of the enemy try to overwhelm it, don't pretend your troubles don't exist, but don't look to them. Look to the crucified and risen and reigning Savior. If you loved me, you would rejoice, for I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Your troubles He has promised are light and momentary. He is greater than every trouble. Every trouble. Even the ones you made. Every. And he lasts forever. When we love and believe Jesus, we should rejoice when he succeeds. And secondly, we see the events that confirm our faith when we love and believe Him. Verse 29, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Why does Jesus tell him in advance? He said this kind of thing before. Why was the Old Testament finished around 250 years before Jesus showed up? So that when it does take place... <coughs> when you see Jesus crucified, when you see it historically documented, when you hear of him risen from the dead, when you see his church go forth in boldness because of that truth and turn the world upside down, when it does take place, you may believe. And we who read this Bible today can see confirmation for our faith in Jesus. That's the whole point of the Gospel of John. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing him, you may have life in his name. We should listen to Jesus' love, and he tells us to love and believe him. And finally, Jesus tells us he's in control. So that when it does take place, you may believe, verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. (laughs) This may seem like a silly question, but it's important for this passage. Why do we need to hear that Jesus is in control? Well, First, as we see in this passage, there are going to be times where it seems like the devil is in control. I will no longer talk much with you, Jesus said, for the ruler of this world is coming. You remember where the devil is at this moment in the passage? He's running around possessing Judas Iscariot, who is selling Jesus to the religious rulers for 30 pieces of silver. And he's gathering a mob to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where they're headed. Even Jesus will say, this is your hour, the hour of darkness, as he says in the Gospel of Luke. And there are going to be times in every single one of our lives, if not already, where you or those you love are going to be struck by the evils of this world, which reflects the ruler of this world. And maybe you've already wondered where God was in that moment. This passage tells us where he was and always is. In control. Because he goes on to say, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. The only reason the devil can have a claim is if there is sin. His whole role as accuser is based on the reality that you and I are guilty before God. But Jesus has no sin of his own. Therefore, the devil can't claim him and rightly call him guilty. So what does that mean? What are the implications of of that? So that means when Jesus takes the guilty sinners, you and me, takes our place on the cross, it means that He is able to make propitiation for our sins and take them away, and thus the devil doesn't have a claim on us either. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There will seem to be times where it seems like the devil is in control. But we should listen to Jesus' love And hold fast to the truth. Jesus is in control. Even at the moment of His death. Even His death. And secondly, we need to hear that Jesus is in control so that we and the world can know that He loves His Father. He has no claim on me, Jesus said, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And we know this, but it's so good to be reminded of this. It wasn't simply that Jesus was unjustly crucified at the hands of evil men empowered by the devil, even though that is what is going on. What also is going on is this was deliberate obedience to the will of God the Father on the part of the Son. And it was not begrudging obedience or fearful obedience. No, it was the perfect demonstration of Jesus' love for His Father. God, loving God. If it were anything else, we should not believe Him because this is what the world was meant to see, that Jesus and Jesus alone could perfectly do what was required for the salvation of people. He, could and did obey God in perfect love. How readily do you believe that someone is the real deal if they give lip service to love, but don't follow through with it in demonstrating it in a self-sacrificial situation? As I wrote that question and thought that question a couple nights ago, I had, this is part of me being slowed down. I had to come to the humble place of confessing that I have some work to do. Even your pastor, who desires to be like Christ, to reflect Christ, to make Christ known, is not Christ. You're not Christ either. You're part of his body, the church. And we are called to a life that is to look more and more like the glorious Son of God and reflect Him. And call out His name to a dead and dying world that Jesus says, they need to know that I love the Father. And we need to call that out to a dead and dying world that full of slaves of spiritual death who need His gospel. But you and I were called to this only because Christ really did and really does love our Heavenly Father and did everything God the Father commanded Him. Even the most insane thing, perfection going to take the guilty's place. To put nails through the wrists and the feet. Someone who never, ever, 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 ever should have had to bear that. He's the one who is in control and he tells us that. We should listen to Jesus' love. We're always presented with that question as a church as individuals are we going to listen when the Lord of the church speaks are we going to try to find our own way thinking that two mouths are better than, than two listening ears taught by the Holy Spirit listening to the word of God who speaks in love he's absolutely right if we don't listen to him and trust him we will be crushed and we will be without hope. If we do, though, we're going to make it with Him no matter what because He has made it because He listened to His Heavenly Father. We should listen to Jesus' love who tells us we're never alone, that He gives us peace and calls us to love and believe Him and remember Him that he is in control.